All right. Good evening. Good to have you all here. The story has been told of a bricklayer who was hurt on the job. And he sent the following letter to his boss requesting sick leave. I arrived at the job after the storm, checked the building out, and saw that the top needed repairs. I rigged a hoist and a boom, attached the rope to a barrel, and pulled bricks up to the top. When I pulled the barrel to the top, I secured the rope at the bottom. Repairing the building, I went back to fill the barrel with the leftover bricks. I went down and released the rope to lower the bricks. And the barrel was heavier than I and jerked me off the ground. I decided to hang on. Halfway up, I met the barrel coming down and received a blow to the shoulder. I hung on and went to the top where I hit my head on the boom and caught my fingers in the pulley. In the meantime, the barrel hit the ground and burst open, throwing bricks all over. This made the barrel lighter than I, and I started to go down at high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up and received a blow to my shins. I continued down and fell on the bricks, receiving cuts and bruises. At this time, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of the rope and the barrel came down and hit me on the head. I respectfully request sick leave. <laughs> this poor fellow had his share of problems. We're studying a period tonight when problems will mount, not for the church, not for believers, we've already seen that they're not there. Believers are absent, taken to heaven. But problems for people who have chosen to side with the Antichrist, they're the ones in this time, and it's a time of intense hardship. Well, why all the suffering? There are problems, are there problems in your life today? Do you have some challenging people to deal with? Are some beyond challenging? Do you work with someone who consistently violates the law, for example, or treats people badly? Does it ever seem like bad triumphs over good? Like the bad guy that beats the good guy and good people suffer while bad people prosper. Do you ever want to ask God why? So there's a question for you, the audience. There were times like this in the first century. Times that tried even the strongest. For example, there was Nero. So bad a guy that many, even today, still think of him as the Antichrist. Listen to what he did. This guy used to entertain guests while he was Caesar with backyard barbecues. For lights, he took Christians, and he had his soldiers coat Christians with a substance like tar or pitch. And then, 
while his drunken party was reveling, he had the soldiers light our brothers and sisters on fire. And so the drunken guests were entertained by the cries of Christians burning. I'm sure that Christians in their day must have asked, where is God? Is he too weak to do anything? Does he care? Will God deal with people who seem to get away with just about anything? You've heard of Christians being fed to the lions. There in the late century, along comes Domitian. Domitian was an emperor, and he reunited Uh, he reignited the fires of persecution against believers. Before, when Christianity had been considered an offshoot of the Jewish faith, Christianity had been permitted. It was kind of grandfathered in under the Jewish uh, religion. But now, clearly not part of the Jewish faith, it was on its own. And it was considered a renegade faith. Why? Because the emperor had pressed the issue of offering incense once a year as a tribute to the emperor as God. And Christians said, we only believe in one God. We, we can't offer that. And so they were viewed by the emperor and the Rome, Roman Empire as traitors. And they were severely persecuted. In a letter to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, we see cases of severe persecution. Take, for example, Antipas. I know where you live, where Satan has its throne. This is John recording the words of Jesus. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Would you like to know what that city is? Here in Pergamum, this letter is written to Pergamum. It was the official center of emperor worship. We've already talked about that. Tradition has it that this Christian, Antipas, was told to deny his savior, Jesus. When he refused, he was told, Antipas, Don't you realize the whole world is against you? He responded, well, then Antipas is against the world. In response to that, they took a bull that Emperor Domitian had designed to torture people. They heated this brass bull up and they put Antipas in the bull and he perished. Revelation calls Antipas faithful and true witness. He is the only person other than Christ who is called this. The emperor Domitian is probably responsible for the apostle John being placed in boiling oil. Miraculously, he survived. Finally, Domitian had him exiled while in his 90s, on a harsh island called Patmos. God was not finished with John, 
there on Patmos, God revealed to John the apocalypse, what we today call the book of Revelation. Christians in John's day wanted to know, would God judge evil? I mean, they were seeing it around them. Would their persecution be punished? Think of Antipas. Would Emperor Domitian get his due? John answers their questions with the seals, trumpets, and bowls of Revelation. Each of these is a series of judgments God pours out. It is at a time of great suffering, unparalleled in history. All of us have trials. We might call them tribulations. But Daniel 12.1 says, quote, There will be a time of distress such as never before. This will be the worst time in the history of the world. The period we are studying tonight is called by several things. The 70th week of Daniel. The time of seals, trumpets, and bowls. The tribulation. The time of Jacob's trouble. And also, the day of the Lord, or day of Yahweh, for that is what God's name is in Hebrew. Let's jump into the study of the seven seals. As we look at these seven seals, you know that they're not the kind of seals in a zoo, right? These are, this is wax on a document placed as a, um, a seal to signify that it has been not been tampered with. So here's the first seal, conquest. God's wrath is poured out beginning with the very first seal. The seals are found in Revelation chapter 6. You can look on your sheets if you have them or in your Bible. There we read in verses 1 and 2. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice, like thunder, come. Recently, some have said that God is not responsible for the seal judgments. Blame them on the Antichrist. However, this is not biblical. Who opened the seal? The Lamb. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He's speaking about Jesus here. Jesus opens the seals. Jesus gets the whole process rolling. He starts it out. Jesus opens the seals. Verse 2. John says, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. He was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So the first seal is conquest. It's symbolized by a white horse, and it's initiating conquering. Some have thought that it is Christ himself coming on the white horse. You may remember last week, however, we showed that Satan 
wants to replace God. And Satan imitates the things that God does. Satan wants to replace God. Satan tried to be like God. Satan copies the things revealed about God. So it is here. God's son is predicted to return on a white horse. Revelation 19. But this is Revelation 6. It's a different writer. Satan's son, Antichrist, copies what the Lord Jesus will do. We know it is not Christ because of the crown he wears. Christ will wear a diadem crown, the crown of sovereignty and royalty. You may remember the hymn, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. That's the crown that he wears. This writer is different. He wears a Stephanos crown, the crown of a victor. The words he wrote, as a, wrote out as a conqueror, bent on conquest, best fit the person of Antichrist. Much of the remaining chapters of Revelation will unfold his demonic plan for conquest. Now, we come to the second seal. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the living creature say, Come. Again, the Lamb, Christ, opens the second seal. The second angelic being gives the order, and another horse comes forth. No doubt you're seeing a pattern. The first four seals are all horses. You've heard the saying, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is that. The apocalypse is the first word of the book of Revelation. And that's just what it means, revelation. It is an unveiling. God unveils his plan for the future to all who read. Verse 4, then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. So we have the second seal, war. You see a red horse, a rider who has power to take peace from the earth and a sword, and men kill each other. So here we have the second horse, red, an appropriate color for what it pictures, war and bloodshed. The second follows the first time-wise. Since the appearing of the first did not include open war, we believe that the conquest in the first began with a conquest other than military. Antichrist is a smooth talker, and he seeks to win first through diplomacy. What he can't get at the bargaining table, he will win on the battlefield. So it is here. The power to give it and to take peace from the earth. War starts. Men slay one another. In a way, these are initiated by Christ, but Christ does not overrule people's choices. These people fight, but not against their will. They will act upon their will to conquer and destroy. 
Einstein said, war is the illness of childhood. And we see that today, don't we? For example, in mass shootings, crazy. Well, the rider on the horse is granted to start a war, and he is given a fitting symbol, a great sword. The word for great is mega. As John is given a vision of the future, he was limited in vocabulary to his first century reader's understanding. But the war that his, he saw, perhaps one with 21st century weaponry, will truly be great. Verse 5, When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil or the wine. So next, this black horse rides on the scene. And we've talked about scales. What are scales to measure? Food. The pair of scales represents commerce, the ability to measure out food for sale. But at what price? A normal day's wages would buy eight quarts of wheat for the common laborer. Now, it only buys one. Or if they buy barley, they get three quarts, which is considered animal food. At this point, the famine will not be universal. Oil and wine, common food for the upper class, is not harmed. This will serve, as a, uh, this will serve to taunt most people. They can see the wealthy with plenty, but they remain famished. We all have memories implanted on our brains that we've seen on TV of scenes from Africa where little children have extended bellies. Uh, due to shortage of food, due to starvation. The black horse introduces a time when this will be true around the globe. The last horse now rides on the scene. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. The horse is pale, literally pale green. The word is used elsewhere for vegetation. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. This writer is the only one named Death. He is followed closely by Hades. Now, death always claims the material part of man, the body, which we bury in the ground. The soul, the immaterial part of the person, never dies. Instead, it is confined to Hades. This writer unleashes massive death and a fourth of all human life is terminated. 
Perhaps two billion die. Think of this. That's more than the population of Africa and South America combined. We see how horrible this time really is. There are four methods of death. They are sword, a symbol for death inflicted by people, famine, the natural result of war, plague, the stride towards the stride forward in medicine to eliminate plagues comes to an end, and finally, wild beasts. Animals which normally avoid humans will hunt humans because of the shortage of food. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. The scene before John now shifts from earth to heaven. There are people, literally souls, martyred now in heaven. The tribulation starts out without any Christians. The church has been raptured. All believers are in heaven. But here, as elsewhere, we see that people do come to faith in Christ during the seven-year tribulation. However, there is a great price for being a believer at this time. Many will be martyred, killed. The reason they're killed is because of the word of God and the testimony they had. Would we witness if it cost us our very lives? They do. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? We see them in heaven. We are brought into a time to catch a glimpse of a conversation with God. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Their cry is for justice, and it's just. People on the earth rejected God, and because they were followers of God, these men were killed. These people were killed. And they're saying, God, when will you judge? They deserve it. It's just. It's right. The saints ask for it to be swift. Judge them now, Lord, is the gist of their request. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. Sometimes God tells you to wait. God, would you do this? And he says, wait. Sometimes God has his own timing. He tells them to wait a little longer. Be patient. Have you ever wondered if people in heaven today have a body? Think of it. We bury the body in the ground. The soul goes to heaven. The resurrection of the body is yet future. It appears that God gives them a body, kind of a loner, something to get them by until their soul is reunited with the original, but resurrected body. How can we tell? Think of it. They're given white robes. 
You can't hang a robe on a disembodied soul. Apparently, God gives them a body. Verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Think of earthquakes. When Mount St. Helens blew, it sent ash everywhere in the state. Something like this may account for the second part of the sixth seal. The sun turns black. Notice the word like. It is black like sackcloth. The sun does not turn into sackcloth. Always look for words that indicate that it is a figure of speech. This helps us to interpret prophecy. And the moon turns blood red. And the stars, they're said to fall to the earth. Now, obviously, these are not stars such as our sun. Greek word is the staries. Perhaps any luminous non-terrestrial body other than the sun or moon. They may be meteors and their falling will have severe consequences on earth. Well, the sky recedes. Every mountain and island is moved. What an incredible thought. What does it take to do that? The power of God. This is not figurative language. It's plainly stated. So what's the response? Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. So now here we see that it's not just the poor or the middle class. Now all classes, all strata of society are impacted. They called on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? People from the smallest to the greatest seek to hide from the face of Christ. They want more than anything just to die rather than see that face. Judgment is coming and the fear of his appearance makes them call out asking for a two-ton slab of rock to fall on them just so they won't have to look at him. The presence of God is a comfort to believers, but a terror to the wicked. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Just when you think you're about to see the seventh seal, something happens. There's an interlude. Instead of unveiling the seventh seal, 
John is taken to heaven. He is exposed to the many good things, great things going on. While this world is gasping, heaven is worshiping. We get to chapter 8 at this time. The last seal comes, but so do the seven trumpets. In reality, they're one and the same. It's kind of like a telescope. Ever had a telescope as a kid that pulled out in different sections? You know, you start to, it's all compacted, and then you start to pull out one section, one section, and you think you've reached the end, and then all of a sudden, pop, the next session, section starts to come out. Well, it's like that with the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. You do six seals, and when you come to the seventh seal, it starts a whole new series, the trumpets. When you get to the end of the trumpets, the seventh trumpet, you get to a whole new series, the final one, the bold judgments. So here in chapter 8 of Revelation, this is often called the judgment of thirds, these trumpets, because many of the trumpets deal with thirds, as we will see. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. I remember a hailstorm in the Metroplex some years ago. Debbie and I were about to go to sleep. First, one thud sounded, then another, and another. It sounded like someone was throwing rocks. As the hail hit the windows, we were sure the glass was going to break. We stepped out of the bedroom and looked out in the backyard, and we saw hailstones about the size of baseballs hitting the ground with a thud. And we let in our scared Australian shepherd dog, And she was so glad to be in. (laughs) It was the most expensive natural disaster America had ever faced up until that time. As dramatic as it was, I don't remember any fire mixed with that hail. That would have gotten my attention. I would remember that. What does fire bring to mind? The answer Judgment. In this judgment, a third of the earth burns up. Now, in Texas, we've had drought and huge fires. A vast number of homes have been burned, and also in California. But this pales in comparison to the devastation that John predicts here. Verse 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet. And something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turns into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. At first, we read something like, a mountain is thrown into the seas. Now, words like or as, of course, flag that this is a figure of speech. I wonder if this mountain is actually a meteor. 
a third of the sea turned to blood. Now, as I was looking at this a couple decades ago, we were having red tides on the coast of Texas and Florida and some on the East Coast. Now, I don't know if that's what it will be in the end times, but it is interesting because the, the red tides hit the coast and animal life, marine life, died as a result. It also says a third of the sea creatures die. And it says a third of the ships will perish. Now this is interesting. A very well-known um, uh, post-trib Bible teacher uh, was teaching and uh, had a lot of followers. And he said that this is talking about World War II. Because he claimed during World War II, a third of the ships perished. They were sunk in battle. So what do you think? Remember what I've talked about, that prophecy has four types of interpretation. There are different schools of thought about how to interpret biblical prophecy, especially the book of Revelation. And uh, the four ones relate to time. There's past, present, future, and timeless. Past or preterist refers to people that see almost everything is already having been fulfilled, largely in 70 AD. Uh, present is the historist or historic view of interpreting prophecy. And they would look in history at different points and they would assign um, periods that they thought corresponded to what was happening in their day. This person is the Antichrist. Um, I obviously don't hold to that view. I'm a futurist. I believe that these things will happen in the future, yet to our time. And then finally, the idealistic time point that just says, well, it just kind of speaks in grand terms about, about truth. It doesn't assign particular fulfillment in most forms. So what about this? Was this World War II? A third of the ships perished. Well, the answer is no. Now think of it, it also says that a third of the fish died. That didn't happen. A third of the seas turned to blood. Did that happen? No. A third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Well, much has been made about the star called wormwood. This refers to the word bitter. It's used seven times in the Bible to refer to a bitter desert plant. The significance of this object, which falls from heaven, is that it makes water bitter. Some have sought to link it to the Chernobyl incident. You remember in 1986 in Ukraine, there was the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. And due to a series of mistakes and faulty design and error on the part of people running it, all these things came together to cause a meltdown and nuclear uh, material was released into the atmosphere and some people died as a result. So is this talking about Chernobyl? the fact that it's called wormwood in the Greek text, and, and Chernobyl means wormwood. Well, I just view this as a coincidence. I don't see this as connected.
All right. So Chernobyl, just sum it up, did not fall from the sky. Did not fall on a third of the rivers, as Revelation says. Did not make a third of the rivers bitter. They're not the same. At this point, we're going to take a break and um, resume the second part of this next week, next Wednesday. Uh, we could go ahead and do it all at one time, but we wouldn't have time for questions. And, and I also have some, some uh, questions for you that I want to pass out and have you take advantage of. So let me pray and we'll dismiss our audience and, um, and do that. Father God, we recognize that there is evil in the world. And we might ask, why haven't you judged already? Well, Father, I, I think there are a couple answers. Number one, we're evil, or at least before Christ, we certainly were, and we still fall short even today. And Father, in your mercy and your grace, you don't judge us. You're patient. But for unbelievers, Father, there's a reason, and that is because you want them to come to Christ. You're not willing that any should perish. You desire for mankind, women and men, to be saved. And so, Father, you're waiting. You're giving time for people to turn to you. Father, we pray that would happen. Lord, I just pray for a great turning to you and people putting their faith in Christ. I pray you would bring that to pass. We know, Father, you do ultimately judge sin so that nothing is, is passed over. Uh, unbelievers will be judged for the sins. They will be judged for rejection of you, for worshiping the Antichrist, for killing Christians and more. They will receive their due. Father, your word speaks to the audience of the first century as it speaks to us, as it will in the future as well. Your word is true, and we trust you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.